You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. All right, I want to invite you now, as is our custom, to open the Bible with me. And so we are going to be in the book of Acts in the first two chapters. Now, as is our custom uh, for this last summer, we've been running through different psalms uh, as we begin to, to turn our, uh, even, even our own wardrobe towards the fall. Uh, there are some things I want to, to bring to your attention. And, and the way I want to do that is that we're going to do a three-week crash course on the book of Acts. And the message, the community, and the mission all visible in the, act, in, the, in the book of Acts. And I'll tell you a bit more about that, but if you don't have a Bible or a smartphone that'll get you one, there's a paperback Bible in the tray of the chair in front of you. Make that our gift to you. If you don't own a Bible, um, you can't steal it. We're giving them away. And if you know someone who needs a Bible, make that our gift to them as well. Uh, don't be afraid of the table of contents, even if this is the first time you've opened the Bible. We'll be in the book of Acts. It's the fifth book in the New Testament, and I'll give you kind of a, a, a 30,000 foot view of, of the book of Acts. Quite literally, it is the acts or actions of the apostles that follow the gospels. In fact, the writer of the book of Acts wrote a single volume, a, a gospel of Luke, a physician, a researcher, a skeptic even, you'll see some of the language he uses kind of appeals to, to, the, to the skeptic. And then he wrote a two-volume set, the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is, and then the actions or the response, that can, think of it as like the gospel continued in the 28 chapters in the book of Acts. Now, I commend this to you for your enjoyment and for reading. You can read the entire book of Acts in about three hours. And I'm telling this because I am not a fast reader. Uh, I am, I'm an easily distracted reader, and I'm very slow, but I was, over the next three weeks, find three hours, I dare you, uh, I dare you to find something better to do with three hours over the next three weeks, when you think about what you're going to be doing with your attention over the next three weeks, I dare you to, to, to find something more meaningful than this, and simply look at the message of Acts, the mission of Acts, and the people that are formed by it. Now here's why, uh, and I'll, I'll give kind of an extended in, introduction to even why we're doing this. Um, what you're going to hear more and more uh, for every single Sunday going forward is we have a target. We have, we have some things as a church that we're, we're wanting to do. Now, if you're, not, if you're not a member of Connection Church, or if you're a guest, you're not even a, a believer in Jesus, I'm really glad you're here to eavesdrop in on what I'm about to say. Um, our goal is that more and more people would hear the good news of Jesus, the message that we're going to talk about in depth even today. And we want to remove any barriers that are possible. We want to multiply disciples of Jesus, and in this case, multiply opportunities to hear about Jesus. So on October the 8th, if that's, the, if that's not a Sunday, then this will just be one more thing I'm not really good at dates with. I think it's the 8th. Uh, that Sunday, that somewhere 7, 8, or 9, I think it's the 8th. Um, our goal would be to multiply this morning service into two separate services to make room for, people to, for more people to hear about Jesus. And that's the only reason we're doing it. We have a message and a story to tell, and we want more people to hear it. That's why our church exists, um, and it's why we want to make these opportunities available. Now, here's what you'll hear. We're trying to figure out. Um, there's, 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 I'll, I'll give you kind of a rundown on timing. Uh, one of the timing issues is that in the life of a church, if you're going to do this, you, want to do, you don't want to do it too soon. If you do it too soon, uh, then it doesn't stick and it doesn't work. In which case, if it does, we'll go back to a one service and we'll say oops and we'll try it again later. Um, but but there's, there's something that like, is pretty exciting in terms of, of a full room. When you come on a Sunday morning and it's hard to find a parking space, on one hand, some of you hate that. And on the other hand, you at least are like, people want to be here. 
And, and when the room shrinks in that sense and there are fewer people, you can lose some of that. I'm gonna, I don't know another better word, but I'm going to do it anyway. You lose the vibe. Um, I use that word. I'm cool, so I say vibe. I sometimes use it as a verb. Uh, not true. Uh, but there's, there's something exciting that we're going to have to sacrifice. Uh, and, and so if you do it too soon, that sacrifice you can't recover from. If you do it too late, on the other hand, then here's the thing that's really scary. If you do it too late, then there are, I, I, this has got to be the case. I don't know if it's, it's true, but like I've shown you pictures of the full parking lot, which you already have memorized, you already saw it. Um, if you do it too late, there are people who, who knows their story, made their way here, and didn't stay to hear the good news of Jesus because there wasn't room. And that is unacceptable, right? That, that we would turn people away. And we're on the verge of turning people away. Uh, we're on the verge of turning people away because there's not enough space in Kids Connection, not enough space in the parking lot, and even, praise God, not enough space in this room. And while that's exciting, uh, it's a cool, I am just keep saying it, it's a cool vibe. We're vibing. That's what we're doing. Um, that's worth sacrificing so that people hear the good news of Jesus, the message we have to tell. So our target is October the 8th. That's that timing. The other timing is if you're a good standard Midwesterner, there's a boundary somewhere between 8 o'clock and noon. And so the closer you get to 8 and the closer you get to noon, the more uncomfortable you get. And some of you feel that right now. Um, I, I feel that mostly just because I see the world through food. Uh, I feel that because I'll be like, ah, it's too late. I, I'm going to be starving and hangry and no, nobody really wants that. And so that's the other, we're, we're, we're rolling out as we're talking with our, our members, with, with gospel community leaders, and with also our ministry leaders, staff, and people who serve on a Sunday morning, what's the best time and way to do that? We want to build enough space between those two spots, about two and a half hours, so that we're not rushed, uh, and so that no one's in a hurry, uh, so that we're not rushing out opportunities to minister to one another, but also that we can love and serve and prepare for all the people who have served us even this morning. And so, so our target will be somewhere between 8 and 8.30 uh, in the first service and somewhere between 10 and 10.45 in the second service. You'll hear more about that um, as we begin to kind of get an idea of, um, of, of where most of us, th that works out best. Now, that being said, that sounds like I'm trying to appeal to convenience. I'm not. It will cost. And here's the reason why... Here's the reason why we're going to crash course through the, through the book of Acts. Number one, we believe in multiplication, and multiplication costs. I'll say it this way, duplication is easy. You just copy and paste. Multiplication, to actually make another one that will make another one, that's costly. Now, some of you have only ever known the change uh, in the life of Connection Church as good, right? Up and to the right. Things are better, um, and, and that's beautiful. God's gracious to us in this, uh, but following Jesus is not that. Following Jesus is cost, not because it's easy, but because it's worth it, because we model what he has sacrificed for ourselves, and so I'm going to ask you to sacrifice. I'm gonna sac you're going to sacrifice something. It's going to be inconvenient. Our goal is to make this as inconvenient as possible for as many people as possible, right? We want to be equal opportunity offenders. We don't want any one person to be like, this really was inconvenient for me. We want everyone to be like, me too, right? That, that, if, that's, if, that, if that's the feeling that like, this is really tough, then you're like, good, we did it right. It's starting to work. And that sacrifice is so that more people would hear about Jesus. Now, this is the excitement for us because in multiplication uh, of a gathering, for example, opportunities for he people to hear about Jesus, our goal is to multiply gospel communities and multiply churches. And the next five to 10 years, we want to fill up this building. And then the third, I'm, I'm making this up. I want to be very clear. I'm speaking as just a person who's making stuff up as they go. But Lord willing, if this happens, our third service would be a church plant that in the next several years, the sacrifices we make will be to raise up leaders, church planter, planters, and, and we will continue to see the gospel on the move 
in our city, in our region, and around the world. And this is one of the ways we do it. And so that means if you were around when Connection Church first started, this sounds like oh yeah, this is normal. Multiplication costs. If you've ever been a part of a gospel community that, that has multiplied into more than one gospel community, you know how painful it is. We call them gospel goodbyes. There's a, grieve, there's a grieving. Anytime, even if it's something good, you grieve the loss of what you, what you found to be familiar and comfortable. And I'm inviting you into that grief and that sacrifice because there's something bigger that the Lord is, is, has for us. Now, why would I ask you to do all of that? Why would I ask you to go through all of those things? And I think I have three answers that the book of Acts gives us. And the first one is because you and I have a story to tell. That's it. That's my contention for us this morning. So let's begin in the very first chapter of the book of Acts. Luke is making an appeal uh, and he starts by introducing us. So I'm going to skim through the first and second uh, the first and second chapters in the book of Acts. Acts is laid out kind of in two different sections. The first 12 chapters takes place mostly in Jerusalem, and you'll see why. And then from chapter 13 through 28, it becomes more focused on the apostle Paul, who is on three separate missionary journeys to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we'll see why in just a moment here. Now, over the course of the book of Acts, again, as you read it, uh, you've got three hours over the next three weeks. You can do it. Or just get as far as you can. I don't know. Um, Download an app, listen to it, ESV app, version. you can listen to it um, in the car or as, as you're doing whatever you're doing. Um, and, and you'll find there's 10 full sermons that, that most scholars think are in the book of Acts. But there are about 19 total addresses. That is that moments where the message of the book of Acts becomes clear. That is they're saying something about something that took place. And so Luke even leads us into that. So beginning in the first verse of Acts chapter 1, let's, let's read some of these verses. We'll skip to the second chapter. In the first book, O Theophilus, now remember, I already told you what that is. That's the Gospel of Luke. If you want to know, what's his first book? Skip back a couple of books uh, right before the Gospel of John, and you'll hear is the good news of Jesus. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait For the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And we had said, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing Into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, 
who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they enter into an upper room where they were staying, Peter and John, and then he gives a list of the apostles that were there. Now skip down to the next important thing. They replace one of those, uh, those apostles, Judas, who had betrayed him, and they re- replace him and notice that the most important thing, uh, most important thing that, uh, that, they, that they had in mind was that that person that they would replace the apostle was one who had witnessed his resurrection. And so, he gives this picture, kind of a mini-sermonette of, of them replacing Judas. They all gather together, and then Peter speaks to 120 people, presumably people who all knew that they had already seen Jesus. So verse 16, he says, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. That's the one who betrayed him. He was numbered among us, right? And then he, he explains this is not a surprise. This, is, this isn't just like some ugly secret we want to we want to put out there like, oh, don't, don't let people find out that people actually betrayed Jesus. And so verse 21, so one of the men who, ha- who have accompanied us during all that time that the Lord Jesus went out, in and out among us, beginning from his baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us, here's that word again, a what? Witness to his resurrection. That's verse 22. So now you begin to see the message of the book of Acts. The message, the story they had to tell. A story about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So first and foremost, the story we have to tell, the greatest story I want to contend to you that has ever existed is the story about Jesus. This message, the message that I believe, like these first apostles, is worth dying for. Now, here's how I know. That word witness, that word witness is the Greek word martyr, where we get our English word martyr. (laughs) That is that this idea of witnessing is the same concept of dying for something, giving yourself for something. It's not just that they were saying something, although they would definitely do that, It's more that the way they bore witness, the message that they had to tell, the story that was so great they were willing to die for it is the story of who Jesus is and what he's done. It's about Jesus. And so as you peruse the book of Acts, you'll find some evidences of this. For example, Jesus, who came as God in the flesh to to accomplish for us what we could not accomplish for ourselves, received the worship of people. But on several occasions, as you read through the book of Acts, when miraculous signs and wonders start to happen, people start to worship the apostles. They see, they see the uh, apostle Peter, they see Apollos, they're like, man, these people are amazing, and they start naming them after Greek gods. And so, very quickly, it's not as though the apostles took the place of Jesus, like, oh, here, you worshiped Jesus, now worship us. In fact, they vehemently encourage the, or discourage these people from doing that. So don't worship us. Now, to be fair, as you read those stories, you'll find that worship is short-lived. Uh, right after they stopped them from doing that, they would stone them and run them out of town. So that goes both ways. But this is about Jesus. This is about the worship of and the exaltation of Jesus, not anyone or anything else. And so as you read those 10 messages, or even those 19 passages, like, like what you saw here, the message, ultimately, the story, the greatest story that has ever been told, I want to contend to you, is about Jesus. There is no greater story. 
And the book of Acts tells us why. This movement, the movement of the gospel that, and I'll say this for the next three weeks, over and over and over again, this movement of the gospel that now is, is think about it, being talked about a bunch of, a bunch of uh, 2,000 years later with a bunch of Midwesterners. Like, just think about that. Like, this, was, this started in the ancient Near East and other languages and cultures and ge- uh, you know, geography away from everything that you and I know to be normal. And that message is still being told. It's worth it because it's the greatest story ever told. And so, the message of the book of Acts, the message the greatest story, not only in the book of Acts, but even in this church, is about Jesus. But it gets more specific than that. The greatest story is not just about Jesus, but it's about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, for the rest of the New Testament, not just Acts, but for the rest of the New Testament, you're going to hear people talk about Jesus. The Apostle Paul, the writers of these letters, James, they talk about Jesus. But very, very, very rarely do they ever expound upon the teaching of Jesus. Very rarely do they do that. Although that was one of the most powerful and magnetic things, instead, they talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus, even in pointed ways. So, skip to chapter 2. So, the the Jews had come, in verse 1 we find here, when the day of Pentecost, that's one of the three great feasts that would have drawn these people back to Jerusalem, when they were all together in one place, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Okay, so get that a mighty rushing wind was happening inside the house. And now this is metaphorical language. If you're like, what's that like? We don't know. It's like wind in the house. You know, like when it's really windy and stormy inside your house, that's what it's like, right? You're meant to go like, what? That that defies the imagination. Exactly. So there's a wind that stirs up in the house while they were sitting and praying And then it was like fire tongues divided. Again, what do divided tongues of fire look like? They look like divided tongues of fire, obviously, right? You get the idea. You're meant to go like, this is miraculous. This is this is inexplicable. These words don't even explain it. And so it was the power of the Holy Spirit. These tongues of fire rest on each one of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, this is powerful for us. One of the first stories in the Bible is a bunch of people rebelling against God by uniting together against him, namely the story of the Tower of Babel. And these people got together in this big unification project, and they were like, let's get together and let's build a tower up to God. And God, in his, in his discipline of them, scattered them, scattered them in language, ethnicity, nation, nationality, like scattered them. And then in here, the power of the Holy Spirit through the declared gospel Did you see it? It's starting to be undone. And what was scattered by sin starts to be restored in Jesus. So they start speaking. Again, for some of you in this room, maybe if your heart language is not English, or you just know another language, it'd be like if I just all of a sudden started speaking in that language and you understood it. You'd be like, I don't don't understand how that's possible. Well, there you go. That's the miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 5 There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Hear that reversal of the scattering. And at this sound, the multitude came together. Remember the sound, the sound of wind inside a house. What does that sound like? I don't know, but it draws a multitude. They were bewildered. Of course they were, because each one was hearing them, the people who had the tongues of fire rest on them, were speaking 
in their own language. And they were amazed and saying, are not all these people speaking, who are speaking Galileans? Namely, why aren't they speaking that language? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own language? And so you see this picture of the, the powerful work of Jesus. But here's what is spoken. Now, now, beginning in verse 14 is one of those 10 sermons. And Peter, it says in verse 14, stands with the 11, lifted up, lifted up his voice, and addressed all those, those people who were bewildered. The people were drawn together at the mighty sound, this spectacle. And he says, men of Judea, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only third hour of the day. I love that. Like, they're not drunk. It's too early to be drunk, obviously. But this is what was uttered to the prophet Joel. In the last days, it shall be that God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. My grandfather always joked. He would say, I see visions. I'm still, I still see visions. I'm not an old man yet. I'm, I'm dreaming dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they'll prophesy. And these signs and wonders are a fulfillment of what God has promised to restore in Jesus. So begin in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know, you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up, handed over, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now, you would think this is something you want to keep a secret. The leader of our movement uh, got killed, right? That, that isn't something you typically brag about. That isn't something you would want to draw attention to. But every single time these people get an option, like the opportunity to talk, they do that. And not only that, he's talking to people uh, in Jerusalem who were there. They're like, hey, you did that. Remember that time? Yeah, that was you. You killed them. And yet, verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then he prophesied, he gives this kind of prophetic vision of how he is the fulfillment of David. He's the fulfillment of what the great King David started to accomplish. So now skip all the way down to verse 37. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you hear it? He had the opportunity to tell a story, and the story, even that miraculously was translated across cultures and languages. I'm going to do this. I yelled a lot yesterday. Went to a football game. Not, I mean, I just like yell it. <laughs> what are you yelling at? Not that that makes it better. You're right. <laughs> the story that he. That <coughs> that's probably not going to get better. <laughs> story is no good if you have no voice to tell it. <clears throat> The story that they told wasn't just about Jesus and what he taught, but the greatest story they told was about his death and resurrection. That something powerful happened. Now, this is what I would contend to you. If you're in this room and you're not a Christian, I could summarize our invitation for you to join this movement and to hear this message very simply. What would you do if the most famous, influential man on the earth 
predicted his own death and that he would be raised from the dead three days later and that he did it. If that happened, is there anything else you would talk about? Is there anything more, like, is that, is there, oh, well, actually, I have a more impressive thing. Uh, this last week, you know, you, you get what I'm saying? Like, this story is the greatest story ever told. This story is a story of God's redemptive purpose. Did you hear, Peter? You deserve wrath. You killed the guy. You, you killed the Redeemer. And yet, don't worry, that was a part of God's definite and pre, like, it, it, it was, did you hear what he, like, it was, it was not just an accident. It was according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge, foreknowledge of God. The worst thing that ever happened wasn't outside of God's plan. Think about it. That's the story we're telling, this redemptive plan where even the people who deserve God wrath, God's wrath by turning on Jesus are the ones invited to believe and belong. That's how great this story is. This story is so great, it outshines every other story. And it's worth everything. That's how powerful it is. So, what is this story? We call this story the gospel. Now, that's just not just fancy religious language. The word evangelion, gospel, literally just means, as you find it, and every, it's even translated this way sometimes in, uh, in the New Testament. It just means good news. And so, let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Boiled down this gospel, this story, the greatest story about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Paul writes to this, this church, he says, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Do, do you hear the nature of this story? It's, it's so all-encompassing, it is past, present, and future. You received it in the past, you're standing in it now, and it will ultimately be the redemptive story in the future. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance. You hear it? You hear that? Like, this is the greatest story. I mean, it's, there's other things we talked about, but this is of first importance. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. His death was for a purpose. Now, th this might sound kind of archaic and strange for you, but I, I want to contend to you that it's not. Every single time you see Every, time you see, every single time you see worship taking place in the Old Testament, there's always, it's always a bloody affair. And there's something that Christians and, and at least Old Testament Jews have in common is that they believe you can't come to God by yourself. You'd be consumed. God is too perfect. God is too righteous. It'd be like stepping onto the sun. Something about you would have to change to get that, that close to that something glorious and that some, that something that powerful. And it seems archaic, but I want you to know that's not true. That's, that's actually programmed into your heart and mine. And you know that. I'll give you two examples. One's silly and one's painful. The silly one is, even a little kid in Kids Connection knows when something is unjust. Right? Any sibling knows that's not fair. Right? Like, if the brother or sister gets one of those holy smokes, no one taught them that. No one taught, hey, this, you know, everything's going to be fair and balanced. That's what, like, no one ever taught a child that. It is written into their heart that, like, that's not fair. Here's the second thing. Anytime you see something going wrong, anytime you see something in the world that's broken, and especially if something is awful happened to you, you want someone to pay. 
the kindest, most altruistic person in this room, when you are wronged and offended, your initial response is justice. And so this idea that there was something broken in you and me and in the world and someone must pay is a good and I would say supernatural feature of humanity. It's how we bear his image. You, and I, you don't have to teach someone to know this. You don't, have to, you don't have to teach a kid to want fairness and justice. It's written into our hearts. Now, we go, all, we go about that kind of justice in all sorts of weird ways, but when he says that, when Paul says, Jesus came and died for our sins, this is meant to, this is meant to excite us because the justice that we demand has been given to us in Christ and the blood that was offered as payment was not yours and not mine. Oh, blood is shed to come to God, but it's not the blood of the sinner, it's the blood of Jesus. He died for our sins, not as an accident, not as a plan B, but accordance to the, script, to the scriptures. Verse four, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. Again, not, it, it's tempted to say like, this was shocking to you, now we see. And then he gives a whole list of people he appeared to. Cephas, Peter, the 12. And he speaks of it as, as what we find the New Testament to be. And I would contend for your, own, for your own research on this. This is eyewitness testimony. He's speaking and he starts naming people that as if, if the people who were reading this would have known them, would have been like, hey, I don't believe in the resurrection. That's fine. What does he say? Go to all those people. Most of those people are still alive. Some of them aren't alive. But then he appeared to James, the apostles, then he appears to him. Verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He was a persecutor of the church, but now, again, because Jesus, Jesus' blood was shed, not his, he experiences that grace. It's not in vain. In verse 11, so whether it was I or they, talking about how hard he worked as an apostle. So we preach, again, the gospel is something that's declared, and so you believed. Sorry, you didn't get to see all the whole last on that. I, my apologies. I want to draw attention to one quick thing before we moved on, before we move on from this. The story, the greatest story, the good news of Jesus is something that is done and finished that we believe. It is something that, as you heard the Apostle Paul say, we receive and believe. Now, I want to draw this quick distinction uh, because the younger you are in the room, the more this will be helpful, is that the modern narrative or the postmodern narrative or the, the most contemporary cultural narrative for Western individualist Westerners is that what's broken in the world is outside of you. And you need to look inside of you for the solution. So what's broken is out there. We have an alien problem. It's out there. They're, they're all, they, and, you, and you can immediately think of who they are, right? They're messed up. They're a problem. And, and thank God I'm not like them. And the solution is internal. We look inside of ourselves. We discover ourselves. We find ourselves. We express ourselves. Uh, I tell you this all the time. Uh, children's stories tell, uh, like children's movies, children's stories tell this the best, right? Like, you can't tell me. I know what's right, right? You know, uh, Ariel, Daddy, I love him. You're 16, okay? Like, he, th I'm sorry, there, th that's what's wrong? Your dad won't let you get married at 16? You're right. What? Do you get the idea? But that's a story that you believe. You're like, yeah, you're right. I know what that feels like. I totally, it's stupid. I can't believe. Why, why don't they just let her do, you get the idea? Or, or my favorite is, you know, the most popular is, is, uh, is, oh, I'm a terrible person for forgetting this person's name. Elsa, oh, God, forgive me. Uh, <laughs> the most famous fictitious creature in the last 20 years. Uh, her problem was that she needed to what? Great, great ballad and song. Let it go. 
right? Don't hold me back, right? Don't conceal, right? You, you get the idea? And so the narrative that you and I typically believe is when things go wrong, it's out there, and the solution is somehow inside. That's a problem because you know yourself, and no one has betrayed you, disappointed you, lied to you, or let you down like you. And the gospel that subverts that and is powerful and freedom for us is that the problem really is inside of us. And when we look inside, we see that. We, ha- we don't have an alien problem. We have an internal existential problem, but we have an alien solution. Namely, we hear the good news of what Christ has done apart from us, apart from, think, the works of the law, apart from your own obedience, apart from your goodness, apart from your virtue, apart from your lack of virtue, apart from anything that is in you, we, give a, we get a gift that is good news, freedom, forgiveness, restoration, and redemption. And we don't have an alien problem with an internal solution. We have a deep, dark, internal problem But praise God, we have an alien solution. God has come out from outside of this world to be with us, for us, and like us. And that's the good news. God has taken on flesh to take on our sin. He was raised above and beyond death so that it had no power over him. And he invites us to turn from our sin, to turn from finding other happinesses and solutions in this world and find new life in him by faith. Now, here's the thing that'll blow your mind. That's the same thing that the original group of followers heard from Jesus. That's the sa- that what I just said is the same thing that the original apostles shared with other people 2,000 years ago. It's the same thing you'll find as you peruse through the, the history of the first century church in the book of Acts. The the songs we were singing earlier and we'll sing later are the exact same thing, the same story, the same message that has been proclaimed for 2,000 years. And it moves. This gospel moves. You can't hold it down. In fact, one of the best things that can happen, this is hard for Americans to hear, but one of the best things that could happen to, to spur a gospel movement is persecution. God has taken on flesh in Christ, taken our sin, and victoriously resurrected over it. This is the content and substance. This is the greatest story. And that greatest story is about grace. It's about grace. Now, there are two places where I think this is the most evident. By grace, I mean an unmerited gift. Not something you've earned, but something that someone freely gave to you. And one of them you see from the Apostle Paul, And one of them you see from the Apostle Peter in Acts 15. So in Acts 13, listen to what I mean by this greatest story is about Jesus. This greatest story is about his death and resurrection. And ultimately, that story is about grace, an unmerited gift. And so if you want to, you'll find this in the weeks to come as you read this. But in Acts chapter 13, you see here, for David, this is Paul speaking. After he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up, did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, this is Jesus, the one who was raised from the dead, by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, he gives a warning, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I, that is the Lord, I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. This is what we talk about as a church regularly, and if we're going to multiply disciples and multiply services, it's because there's a message of good news, not good advice. 
The good news we share is what God has done. Did you hear that? Beware, lest you will miss that God is going to do something. But did you hear what he said? When you see and believe in Jesus, you are freed from everything that you could not be freed from by obeying the law. Did you hear that? The greatest story ever told is good news because the greatest story is about grace. It's not about you, it's about Jesus. This is the greatest story and you and I have been invited into it. That our story would become a part of it. We would experience that, that powerful grace that is a gift that is received, not something that is achieved. Because every kind of good advice, every kind of conventional wisdom will ultimately become a slave master. Did you hear what he said? Jesus is the only one that can free you from all the stuff that you can't free yourself from. Have you ever noticed that you can't by sheer will make yourself good? Have you ever wondered why that is? Have you ever wondered why you always have to get a new set of friends to prove that that's true? Have you ever wondered why that's such a problem? Why, why you fall into despair and discouragement? That's because ultimately the story that you were meant to find joy, meaning, hope, and redemption in is not about you. It's the good news of Jesus' grace. And he offers to us freely what we could never earn for ourselves. By our performance, by our achievement, by our impressiveness. And here's Peter's version in, uh, to the council in Acts chapter 15. The apostles and the elders were gathered together. Now the gospel starts to go to the nations and to Gentiles and these uh, uh, the Jewish people were like, well, you need to obey the law and become circumcised and have the signs of, signs of the old covenant in order to in, in be a part of the new covenant. And Peter says, no, this is about what we receive by grace through faith. Here we go. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider that matter, this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the, word of the gospel and believe. Gentiles, that's us, all of us who are not ethnically or nationally Jews. Verse 8, and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, and by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith, not by something they had done, but by faith. Now, verse 10, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing another yoke on the back of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they, those outsiders, will. Don't you love that? Oh, why would you expect of other people what you yourselves can't live up to? And then uh, the last verse, uh, verse 11, but. Now, that's the way ESV uh, translates it. The NIV translate it, translates it, no. Uh, other translations are, but rather, or rather that, right? Just think of one of the most powerful gospel declarations starts with, no. Right? Like, if, 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 if in this case, Peter were a good, Western, a good Midwesterner, he'd be like, yeah, no. <laughs> Why do you think that you could be good enough? We know that we'll be saved, not by our own works, not by following anyone's good advice, but by what? The grace, the unmerited love, gift, and acceptance that you and I have been freely offered in Christ. It levels the playing field. Do you see how this is the greatest story? It's the greatest story because it's about grace. 
It's the greatest story because it's about a gift that's free, too good to be true. Think of it this way. Here's, here's a question I'll ask for you. In your own head, repeat after me, kind of like, how do I know I'm okay? Just in your own head, ask yourself that question right now, but even through, in the days to come. How do I really know that I'm okay? If you would call yourself a Christian in the room, I don't mind you saying it this way. How do I know I'm saved? How do I know I'm right before God? Here's grace. If your answer to that question, how do I know I'm okay, starts with the word I, you are not. But the extent to which you answer the question, how do I know that I'm okay, begins with the word Jesus. Oh, now you start to get it. If I say to you, how do I know you're good? How do I know everything's going to be okay? How do, I know you're, how do I know you're saved? How do I know your hope is secure? And any, any bit of you that answers I, well, I'm good, or I'm, or I've done this, or I've accomplished, right? Any bit of that, I, I'm going to warn you, is a tyrant. It's a tyrant. It is another slave master, right? I, well, I know I'm okay because of my health. Okay, good luck with that. We've tried to dismiss death from our, from our society as much as possible, but Sioux Falls is beautiful. There are, still, there are still cemeteries smack dab in the middle that you drive by every day. As a reminder, no, uh, yeah, no. Yeah, no, that's... How do I know I'm okay? Because, because I achieve? Because I'm impressive? Because I have a good reputation? That is a slave master, and you know it. And you never live up to it. It always hunts you down. It always runs you down from behind. But friend, when I ask you, how do you know you're okay? If you begin to contemplate the greatest story ever told, the story of grace, I know I'm okay because Jesus. And you start to fill in the blank after that. Oh, you're in good, you're in good shape. How do I know I'm okay? Jesus, according to the foreknowledge and definite plan of God, sought out my rotten, sinful soul to redeem it, to make, to make me his own. How do I know I'm okay? He'll never leave me or forsake me. How do I know I'm okay? Right now I am perfect, perfect in the sight of God because I am hidden in his righteousness. He has done all the things that the law could not. He has done all the things that I really wish I could do. I mean, I do. I wish I could be all those, I wish I could be impressive, successful, I wish I could be all those things, but that's a tyrant, that's a tyrant, a slave master calling, I know I'm okay because I know he has done what I could not, and here's the crazy part of this whole thing, this is the crazy part of this story, this is why we multiply services, multiply gospel communities, this is why we go to great lengths to let people hear about this, here's the greatest, craziest part of this story, anyone can get in on it, Anyone can get in on it. And even as I tell you, like, I am perfect and righteous before God. I am accepted, adopted. Like, if, if part of you is like, are ah, you sure? Right? Because you maybe know me better than the rest of the people in the room. But now you especially get it. You're like, him too? Like, yes! That's the point. That's what I'm telling you. The greatest story ever told is this story of grace. And so why would we do anything? Why would we make sacrifices? At least for our church to multiply, be uncomfortable, to multiply gospel communities, to share the gospel with our neighbors, to invite those kinds of conversations, why would I fill in the blank? Why would I endure every, in any and every kind of, of difficult thing? And the answer is simple, because I have a story to tell. I have a story to tell. And it's good news. 
Here's one quick application, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll illustrate it uh, better than I can with, with the words of someone else. The good news, the story, the greatest story is a story that fulfills all of our longings. It fulfills our destiny for us. Now, if the younger you are in the room, this will appeal to you uh, maybe a bit differently, and so I want to speak directly. The gospel gives you an identity. The gospel is what? This good news, this story, and, and remember what Paul said, it's of first importance. It frees you from all of the other tyrants of identity. It gives you what you could not possibly get on your own, even though you wish you could. And we begin to believe the greatest story ever told, that what Jesus says about us is better than what we say about ourselves, even on our best day. Even when we think we know what's true about ourselves, like Ariel, more than anyone else. And that's because what the gospel is, as good news and not good advice, is grace that is received rather than achieved. The gospel is the only identity that is received and not achieved. All identity is performative. You have to impress it upon someone. You have to express it. And, and this, I mean, this is, this is eating us right now. And I think Christians have a powerful story to tell against that. All right, so think about, think about how this story as we, as we begin to dig into it, changes things. I'll give you a couple examples. One is in the news. One of the things that, that so modernity came along and said, here's this grand narrative. Postmodernity came along and said, postmodern thought, which is probably most of us to some extent, we're, 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 that is, we're marked by a skepticism against grand narratives. There's a skepticism we have. Um, now, I, have a, I don't have the very articulate version of this, my, my skepticism against power and that narrative is Rage Against the Machine, the Beastie Boys, and NWA. Like, that's, if, if you look, yeah, did I listen to Beastie Boys on the way here today? Yes, I absolutely did. I'm a coward and I need to get jacked up to do this, okay? <laughs> but there's this angst of like, the rally around your family with a pocket full of shells. That five, that five-sided fistagon, this doesn't make any sense to any of you, that angst against things that are going on is a part of our own desire to be fulfilled in the world in a way that the world can't fulfill us. And so our angst and anger can be seen in the hypocrisy. You see this in the news. Anyone tries to tell the story, notice the tension is not around the facts, it's around the narrative. Let me get political and, and make you very uncomfortable. Let's go. Ready? We're friends. The, prob- the tension around climate change is not around the facts, it's around the narrative. The tension around Joe Biden and Hunter Biden is not around the facts, it's around the narrative. The tension around Donald Trump is not about the facts, it's about the narrative. The tension about January 6th is not about the facts, it's about the narrative. And we feel the angst of someone trying to push a narrative on us. And I'll tell you the honest truth, the reason you feel that angst is because that narrative stinks. It's not any good. And that's because the greatest story that's ever told is about Jesus and his grace. So some people get angry. They're like, well, why can't we just state the facts without our narrative? Well, friend, we weren't created that way. Uh, You're not a robot. You're not a computer. Keep trying, okay? But we are people who are formed by story. That's because we were drawn into and created for a story that has no beginning and no end. It's in the character of God. So just run with it. If you don't like... uh, See the facts through the narrative. It's just that see the facts through the best story ever. 
See the facts to the story that's ultimately and eternally true. Think about this. What will be true for those of us in Jesus Christ a billion years from now? What will be the story that we tell? Will it be any of those other things that I just mentioned? (laughs) This is a story that we have to tell. This is a gospel movement, a, a declaration of good news that now also gives us identity. Here's one of the last ones. One of the biggest tensions we have right now is around the language of gender identity. Now, we're just kind of cycling through. It was sexual identity, it's political identity, racial ethnic identity, but you could lump them all. But right now, one of the most tense, uh, one of the most tense topics is around gender identity. And the gospel is the only identity that's received, not achieved. And so, therefore, it doesn't replace your identity with another tyrant. Because after all, if you can form and create your own identity gender, racial, ethnic, philosophical, ideological, political, if you can form your own identity, then you will be slave to it forever. One author, Jack Miller, says it this way, the extent to, wait, the extent to which we base our sense of the good life on our own performance will always leave us incredibly insecure. The gospel is the only identity given to us freely by God that frees us from insecurity. You know why you can't take criticism? You know why failure for you leads to despair? Because you're believing a story that stinks. Join the club, right? Welcome to the club. We're regularly doing that and we gather on a Sunday to be reminded of the story that's better than any other story. And so if you're in this room, maybe you're on one side and you're like, man, I. I, I don't know what I, I like. Gender identity is, is man, I, I struggle with this. I don't, I don't know who I am. Or, and maybe it's, again, gender, ideological, philosophical. Then I want, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. And I want do you con, to consider the possibility. Don't submit your identity to a tyrant, even yourself. I mean, after all, I don't know. Do you agree with any of the decisions you made 10 to 15 years ago? Like, is there, like, are any of us are like, yeah, 10 years ago, I killed it, nailed them all, hit them all, 100 for 100, right? Is it possible that in 10 years, you'll think the same thing about you right now? And in 10 years, you'll look back and be like, what an idiot. Well, here's, here's, here's good news for you. You don't have to submit to that tyrant, that tyrant that's inside of you. And friend, don't submit to that tyrant. Hear the good news of Jesus and what he says to you. Here's a better story. You're mine forever. Here's a better story. And then let your other sense of identity start to flow from the one identity that's secure. Maybe you're on the other side, and maybe you're, maybe you're the tyrant on the other side. So you're like, no, we need to tell people what they are. You have to conform to this. Well, friend, the gospel for you as well, look to Jesus, is the only identity that doesn't create another tyrant, including you as well. This is one place where we have a message and story that could change everything. Just think about that. If, if we became radically secure people, confident because we know that we've been invited to a great story, and it's the only story that doesn't crush us. Uh, that is, the other stories always supplant a story and create another tyrant. Right? Every, every liberation army in, in the world uh, always becomes the next oppressor. Have you ever noticed that? They're like, we're going to liberate them. And then in 100, if, they're, if they're lucky, two, 300 years, then people are like, these are tyrants. You get the idea? That's what happens when, 
lousy stories are told. That's what imperialism, that's what colonialism is. The powerful story comes in, you say, no, this is actually the bigger powerful story, but then it becomes its own tyrant. And the gospel is the only story that doesn't silence and oppress the people a part of it. It exalts them. It incorporates every single one of their stories. It restores humanity and dignity to people. It doesn't silence them and crush them. Why would I do anything? Because you have a story to tell. Here's where I want to end. Um, these are stories I want to be told more and more, and I get to hear them sometimes and don't get a chance to share them necessarily. Um, this is the last thing I'll leave you with. The, this movement of the gospel, that's, that we're, that I'm ta- this message of the gospel that, that changed the world 2,000 years ago is happening in this room. And so I want to I tell some of these stories as we, as we prepare for October 8th. Hey, I'm Joe. Hi, I'm Ezra. Ezra and I have been friends for a while. He was a student of mine at USF and uh, graduated in 21. And during his time at USF, we had many conversations about different things going on in his life. And, and many times those conversations turned to, turn to God and, and who God was to you and what Jesus was doing in your life. And then a couple years later, you walked into Connection Church and I was so encouraged by that uh, because it just showed that Jesus was working and, and doing something in you. Can you tell us about that? What what was Jesus doing in your life? Man, I was really stuck in sin. And I had friends that walked up to me and put their hands on my shoulder and said, Ez, you just need to change and listen to Jesus. And I did. And it what was great was it was like a hug. But this hug like was lifting this weight of the world off my shoulders. Yeah. And it was just amazing to, to learn that Jesus died for my sins. And uh, so you're a part of a GC now. You've been for about a year, uh, I think. What's next for you? Well, I'm engaged. That's really exciting. But from there, I want to become a godly man. So through that, I'm excited to get baptized this year and uh, grow with Connection Church by attending membership classes. Nice. Um, hey, thanks for letting me be a part of this. Thank you. The story, the greatest story that has ever been told, that has changed history. It started schools, hospitals. It changed the trajectory of countries and nations around the world. That story is changing people in this room. It's not outdated. And friend, are you looking for a new identity? Are you you tired of the story that you've been living in? I want you to hear the good news, the greatest story ever told. There is a story that the Lord is writing from the beginning to the end of all of history, and he's invited you and I to be involved in it, to thrive in it, to find life in it. You want a better identity? You want a better better story? I have good news for you. Jesus came to accomplish what we could not. He came to do for you what you could not, so that by faith we would receive a gift that we have been invited into and are now included in a story that will never, ever end. That's the good news that we get to share that I think has the hope to change our city. It's why we planted this church. It's why, it's, it's why anyone would plant a church because we have a story that we think the city of Sioux Falls needs to hear. And so it's a story we get to tell that isn't just ancient and 2,000 years ago, although it is that. It's a story that can change your life, bring joy and hope, and is doing that in the history of our church and even in this room right now. So here's how I want to uh, uh, close us. We're going to stand up in a moment. We're going to sing. And there's probably one of two things that you need to do. One is to just thank God for the story you've been invited into and worship him for that. Thank him for that. And two, pray about this. Who needs to hear your story? 
who do you know that needs to hear the greatest story ever told from you sometime this year? We'll give this to Jesus and trust him with it. So let's, let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much. I thank you for Ezra and for Joe and uh, for simple ways that you're, you're moving around us, you're changing us, making us, giving us joy, um, new and fresh, giving us new life, new hope. And uh, Lord, we thank you that you, that's just what you do. That's, that's not even odd. That's, a, that's just a regular day for you, that you show us our sin and our need, but also show us, our, show us grace and the Savior. And so for, for many in this room, maybe if they're on the fence, uh, might they just take Ezra's example as a, an act of courage to, to begin to contemplate that there's a greater story being told, a story of redemption and joy and hope. It gives us new identity, new hope. Thank you for that. For the rest of us, Lord, this story is too good to keep a secret. Show us now who we need to share this story with. Lord, we might think our story is is somehow worthless, but that's only because we start the story with I. Help us to start our story with Jesus and to begin to contemplate all the love and acceptance he has purchased for us on the cross, all the victory, hope, and joy that he has finished for us with the empty tomb. Help us to exalt him and find hope and joy in him even now in Jesus' name. Amen.